0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: So two schools of thought about the Boston Bruins who we'll see face-off tonight against the Calgary Flames. There is the one school of thought that says, let's make a deal. Let's bring in the reinforcements. They have the team again. That's going to be the march to the Stanley Cup and then hopefully a deep run. Let's bring in some reinforcements. Then the other school of thought is, don't F-duck it up. I wonder what school Andrew Raycroft, Nesting Studio Analyst and Morning Brew co-host with Billy Jaffe, thinks uh, about those two decisions. Team, make a move or don't F-duck it up. Andrew Raycroft, how are you today, sir?
0: I am wonderful. How are we doing up there?
1: Uh, I'm doing great, pal. Uh, So which camp are you in? Do they need to make a move or not mess things up? No F-ducking here.
0: No, I think you. I think you always need to make a move. I think just for the the mental aspect of it, for the emotional aspect, I think it's on some level you need to make a move. Now, I, I don't think necessarily going all in for a and Orlov, the way it looked last season. It feels like the arms race that we saw last season. Yep. Especially in the Eastern Conference, yep. it won't quite be the same this year because of trade because of salary cap. I think it's just going to be hard. We just haven't seen many trades. The only trades that are being made are between Calgary and Vancouver. It feels like so. Um, it, True. It, yeah. I, you do. You're going to have to add something on the back end. Everyone. Everyone needs to add something on the back end if they think they're going to win a Stanley Cup. From my opinion, um, but but to load up, uh, I don't see it the same way as last season
1: is there a that's a curious I'm really curious about the answer there too because i've I've wondered about this as well you're closer to it than I am is there a feeling that they did too much at deadline I mean this is, You know, depending on how you slice it and how you want to read history, you know, the best regular season team of all time last year, but they didn't get out of the first round. Now there were a lot of factors in that first round as well, but there was some people wondering, and I was one of them too, that thought, you know, maybe did they do too much and maybe did they upset the chemistry, the balance, all of it last year uh, in advance of the playoffs? Which camp are you in for, for what they did last year? Was that necessary or did it upset the room too much?
0: No, I I don't see it that way. I think I think you know, I think it was a great job. I I thought Don Sweeney the organization did an unbelievable job. I think we saw as Florida continued to roll through the playoffs. It was a horrible matchup in the first round. Um other than the yeah. Vegas Golden Knights, no one no one beat the Florida Panthers like the Bruins did. And it came down to a goal with 50 seconds mm-hmm. left. I mean, we could relive it. I, game 5 Marsham breakaway. Game 5. The yep. close Ward yep. out with a power play three minutes left. They we're up three to two with 50 seconds left in game seven. Uh, a knob on Bobrovsky, a minute and a half from David Pasternak in game seven overtime. It was so, so no, I, I and the other thing to all of that, Jeff, is that Bertuzzi and Orlov especially performed amazingly in the playoffs. They, they were two of their better players yeah. come playoff time. Bertuzzi was nails. Uh, Orlov was real solid on the back end. So, uh, I think if you if they lost the series because of those players that were brought in were horrible or they they brought bad chemistry, that would be a different story. But right. but it wasn't that case, so that's why I don't see it that way.
1: Hey, um, you mentioned Pas- Pasternak a couple of seconds ago, and he was tremendous over the weekend, uh, both on the ice and off the ice. Uh, shots at the Maple Leafs organization, which were hilarious, but then some like legitimate disappointment uh, when he was asked about the Four Nations face-off, saying, it's a huge disappointment, definitely not happy about it. I understand it's a quick turnaround. It's next year. They probably didn't have much time to make it a bigger tournament. that he told Boston.com's Connor Ryan. Uh, your thoughts? I mean, it's understandable. Like I would imagine that... That Leon Draisaitl is upset that there's not a German team uh, as well. But do you have a thought on on Pasternak? You know, kind of coming out and saying, "Yeah, you know what? This tournament's a this tournament's a drag. I'm probably not going to watch it." Yeah,
0: I'm, I, well, I'm glad he was honest. That's what we want our superstars to be. And, and if he didn't say that, I think we would call him out for that. On the other side, saying, "Well, why wouldn't he care that his country's in this tournament?" So uh, I, I appreciate the candidness. I, I appreciate the the view the point of view and and there is a little bit of there's a little bit of like could the nhl not find a few more ice sessions somewhere right like there is a little bit of validity there's a lot of guys that, that could have played whether it's czech czechia i should say slovakia germany could you made this a 16 tournament and and, and of course you're always going to have one or mm. two guys a little unhappy but it feels like you've left at least two teams full of nhlers on the sidelines, and 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 it would have been a little more interesting. So, I completely understand it. I, I'm from both sides of it. Um, but but if I'm a kid, a guy like David Pasternak who likes the stage, who wants to compete against the best, I'm I'm sure. very disappointed.
1: Yeah, it it seemed like the the vibe for this one was, look, we've put this off long enough. It's not going to be ideal. It's going to be anything but perfect. But we just need to get an international calendar started. So it might not be where it ends up. It probably won't be where, you know, this World Cup or whatever they're going to end up calling this thing long term is going to end up being. But for right now, we just need to get, like, did it feel to you, uh, Andrew, like they just needed to get something out there, even as small as the four nations that will challenge here with Sweden, Finland, Canada, USA?
0: Yeah, it does. And, and 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 we know it, right, Jeff? Like, the reality is once this thing comes and it's here, we're all going to love it, we're all going to talk about it, and we're all going to look forward to the next time when there's 6 or sure. eight teams. So uh, the initial the initial disappointment will fade pretty quickly, I assume. And, and then, again, once it gets there, yeah. I, I I highly doubt we'll talk about the other teams until uh, we get the layout for the next one after.
1: Hey, did you see the Macklin Celebrini interview at the Beanpot yesterday? <laughs>
0: Yes, I did. I was, uh, I was doing pre and post and, and the tweener shows, and uh, Neston was quite happy with the response, other than not getting ahead of the uh, the beep. So uh, it, it certainly is, is viral, and uh, the kid put a show on last night. Yeah. Right? He, those, that first period was, he, was special for a 17-year-old.
1: He, he sure did. Like uh, for, for anyone that hasn't watched him sort of up close and personal, uh, just your, your, your thoughts on what you saw from Celebrini yesterday.
0: I don't think any, you know, the the second goal, especially the one-timer, it's like that's – I don't know if anyone's stopping that in the world. Um, that That's NHL. That, yeah. That's Austin Matthews over on the right plank. I, I said in the broadcast last night, usually we see 88 over on the other side of this building. It was very similar. Uh, it was a rocket. Uh, the yeah. kids got Moxie, of course. That That's the big thing, right, the intangible. Uh, why is it – why is he yep. a first overall pick? You saw it last night. A big stage. He steps up. He does the interview, drops an f bomb, and 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 really makes his case for for first overall for whatever organization is lucky enough to get him. Yeah.
1: You know what I loved about it is he didn't even try to he didn't stop and try to back up and apologize or like oops my bad. He just trucked right on through. Like honestly, I absolutely <laughs> loved it. It was just like yeah whatever like that's my answer. Deal with it. You can do two things nothing and like it. That's my that's yeah. my answer. Keep uh, moving on. with yeah. Celebrini and I'm going. F- He's going first overall on Macklin Celebrini. Um, you know, when you and I get together, we always end up talking about goaltending, and, and here we go again. Jeremy Swayman, Lena Solmark, uh Boston Bruins have elite, elite net minding here. How do you see all of this shaking out? Like, if the playoffs started right now, today, who's the starter for Boston?
0: I, um well, I guess I, I guess you say Swayman. He's the all-star. His numbers are a little better. Um, that being, you yeah. know, it, it's tough for me because I, I see these guys daily, and and I know both of their character. And I, I we would put Allmark in, and Allmark had he had tougher starts at the se- start of the season. Uh, he's had some goals, some breaks go the other way, which just make his numbers a little bit less. But he's been just as good and just mm-hmm. as important. So. Uh, you could go either way I get if you had a gun to my head i'm I'm saying Swayman just because he was the all star and his numbers are a little better but um the bruins right. are very very capable with with their with either one of those guys in that
1: Uh, Should we be surprised at the season that Charlie Coyle is having, albeit quietly? I know not in the Boston market where people love him, obviously, but you know, the rest of the NHL really needs to to pay attention. And, you know, I think understand that Charlie Coyle is having a really good season here for the bees. Your thoughts.
0: Well, I think we can be surprised with his offensive output Um, just because it it was a little bit of a question, but also we, we hadn't seen it really here in Boston and, and I think now, it, with hindsight, we say, oh, it was because he was taking a different role and he was happy and understood the role that he had to take behind Bergeron, behind Krejci, and, and the defensive zone face-offs that he took rather than the offensive zone. So I, I think we can look at all that and say we're a little surprised because he's he's tracking for 75, 80 points. Like, like Krejci yep. and Zaka, or sorry, Coyle and Zaka are on pace for more points than Bergeron and Krejci last season. And I think that, that's highly underrated at this point. It's, it's just we're just starting to scratch that mm-hmm. a little. But we're also wondering how they scored so many goals. We didn't see that coming here in the Boston market. I don't think anyone saw in the league the Bruins scoring at the pace that they had. We knew they were going to be good defensively. We knew the goalies were going to be great. I didn't see a huge drop off. I had 104 points going into the season. But they're going, to, they're going to blow through that because of the offensive output they're putting out there.
1: So, does that then you think maybe disqualify Sweeney from going out there to get a center? Like, you know, like Lindholm's, Lindholm's gone. Monahan's gone. Uh, Henrique is still out there. I still personally think that the, uh, the Buffalo Sabres. Are sort of looking around to see who might be interested in someone like Casey Middlestadt as well. A lot of reasons there. Um, does this now, given how, how successful Coyle and Zaka have been, does that quiet down the noise about the center position in Boston?
0: I, I think it does, especially when you bring up Middlestad and Henrique. I'm, I mean, they're not they're not substantially better than anything the Bruins have, and I would also go to. Just to add to that is the depth that center the Bruins have found this season uh, with Morgan Geeky stepping up, Trent Fredericks played center yep. really well this season. He's having a breakout year. And then you have Zaka, Coyle, you've got Matt Potra, you've got Dan Heinen who can play. They've got seven or eight guys that they've rotated through the center position throughout their lineup. So I think that that, de- that the the center position is a lot less. Uh, important uh, for this team as we thought Mm -hmm. five months ago, and certainly with what's left. uh, No, I I don't believe they're in the market for those guys.
1: Let uh, let me throw another name out at you. I'm curious if he gets another, uh, another sniff this year in the NHL. John Beecher. Does he get something else this year in the National Hockey League?
0: Well, he's he's in the minors now he did a great job at times um as most young guys or a lot of young guys it's hard to be consistent in this league and i think that that is where he's trying to really gain his footing but but certainly with you know that we you need it you're going to need more guys you need injuries and you assume if the bruins find any injuries or have anything happen up front they're they're going to to john beecher next um, and and he's gone down from all accounts, and performed, and worked hard, and kept his game in the minors. So, so I think, you know, assuming injury, yeah, we do see him again at this level.
1: Okay, so let, let me finish up with, with one more here because I already mentioned Trent Frederick's name, and he's one of my favorite people to talk about. Um, who saw this coming? Who saw the points coming for Trent Frederick?
0: Well, he, I Trent hopefully. Um, I think I think the coaching staff did. I, it doesn't seem like they're too surprised. Uh, I think he was showing a, he showed a lot of improvement. Jim Montgomery's first game as a Boston Bruins coach. He healthy scratch Trent Frederick last season. Uh, coming out of camp, Trent Frederick didn't have a great camp, and he built his game from that healthy scratch through last season. His skating improved so much last year, and that carried into this season where. It feels like he got his fifth year in the National Hockey League. You've seen it so many times, Jeff, where the game slows down a little bit. The hockey sense builds, the speed builds, and it looks like now the game's at the pace that Trent can control it. And he never chases it. I think he got, he, he got away from being the guy who has to go out and be a chirpy, mouthy, you know, maybe fight guy sometimes, which he used a little bit to get into the league, but it's not really his personality. Yep. He's a tough kid, and he's happy to stand it's up tough. for his teammate, but he doesn't have <laughs> to go looking for it. Um, and it doesn't really work when he does, I think. So I think all of those, those things, those combinations, the contract has just settled him into a place where the game slowed down, and now his shot, has gotten effective. He's beating goalies with his wrist or over yeah. the blue line and he's finding room. And that's, you can do that. You add four or five goals to your resume and, and all of a sudden you're 25, 30. And, and now you're a top six guy. And, and we know how that confidence builds. And guys, and I think that's all kind of come together for Trent this season.
1: I'm happy for him. Uh, it looks great, you know, as a, as a player hits his stride and matures. But, you know, between you and me, I, I miss that guy that used to chase Tom Wilson around. I really, really <laughs> miss that guy yes. that would spend the whole day chasing Tom Wilson around the ice. Uh, we're up against it. Um, Andrew, uh, thanks as always for stopping by. It's the Bruins facing off against the Flames tonight. Uh, we'll be tuned in. Thanks, pal.
0: You got it. Thanks. Have a great day.
1: There is a great Andrew Raycraft uh, from Nesson. Also one half of the morning brew podcast with Billy Jaffe. Time now for line change presented by sports interaction, your homegrown sports book, bet local Matt Marchese. Yeah. So we're going to
2: talk about the team that you were just talking about there. And it's the flames at the Bruins puck line is Bruins minus one and a half. Boston is eight and three straight up in their last 11 against Calgary and 10 and five straight up in their last 15 in Boston. The total has gone over in four of Calgary's last five against the East and in seven of the last 10 for Boston against the West. And Charlie Coyle is looking to extend his eight-game point streak where he has 12 points.
1: I thought it was really interesting, but guys, I hadn't considered this for a second that both Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka centers one and two of the Boston Bruins are trending to having a higher points total than Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci did last year. Wild. That is a stunner. Now, they're both having really good seasons. You know, at the break, Charlie Coyle with 42 points and Pavel Zacca with 30 uh, listen, there's a lot of things that Patrice Bergeron brought to the game. We know that a lot of other players can't, and that's why Patrice Bergeron is, is going to the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, the moment he is eligible. But I, I'd be very, and this is why I opened up with Razor about, uh, about the Boston Bruins and trades and did they do too much and did it upset the room and the chemistry and all that. I would not be surprised at all if this is a keep the powder dry season come trade deadline for the Boston Bruins. Having said that, Uh, At the other end of the rink, I think quite the opposite is true. And uh, I thought it was pretty funny, Raycroft, saying that it seems like the only two teams that are making trades are Calgary and Vancouver, and they're making them amongst each other. Uh, Whether it's Nikita Zadorov or Lindholm and Kuzmenko, those two teams seem to be the only ones that are frisky, but I think we all know what's happening here. The Calgary Flames need an answer from Noah Hannafin on what his future is going to be. There is an offer on the table and a sizable one at that, and also the future of Chris Tanev who it seems the deeper we get into the season, more teams are interested in his services. And as Elliot mentions, if Craig Conroy can get a first-round pick, it's over. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. That is one of eight games on the board this evening around the NHL, the Calgary Flames, and the Boston Bruins. Luke Gazdick stops by in a moment. I don't think we can hype this one up enough, and we're going to continue to do so. On the Edmonton Oilers, looking for a win number 17 in a row against the defending Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights. Also, Tarek Al-Bashir on the Washington Capitals. One hour to go, and it's a packed one as well. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet radio network.
0: Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: It is the game of the night. There's eight of them. There's a couple of beauties, too, from a few debuts for new teams. The game of the night, the Edmonton Oilers facing off against the Vegas Golden Knights, win number 17 on the line for the Oilers, tying a record, could break it against Anaheim if they're successful this evening. And Elliot and I had a chance to sit down with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl last Friday morning at a downtown hotel in advance of the NHL skills competition and all-star games. And one of the things that we talked about were, or was, the streak. You know, when did things start to turn around for the Edmonton Oilers? Here's McDavid and Dreisaitl on the streak from last Friday. When did you guys know the Oilers were right? Like, when did you sense that everything was straightened out? Um,
3: that's a good question. I think, I think we could feel it little bit before that our game was coming I think when we went on that um, we won three games at home with Chris coming in and it still felt a little weird and then we went on the road and we actually lost a couple of games Um, but we felt our game was was better Um, and then we went in into Washington um, and played a great game
0: our best game um, maybe all season long and um, you could feel then that the, the momentum was starting to go same. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. Um, you know, obviously, you you build that, um, and it was a little bit up and down. Um, but I I would say the same. I would say that that Washington game was kind of where everyone kind of just dropped everything that they had on their shoulders and just started to play a little bit mm-hmm. and started to play to their potential, and um, that was kind of the starting point that was the Washington game that would have been on a Friday night the game previous to that a game against the Carolina Hurricanes a team went down 3 nothing and nobody could figure out what was wrong with the Edmonton Oilers and it it seemed as if and you know both Leon and Connor you know talked about this it seemed as if this was the bottom that Carolina game was the bottom for that Edmonton Oilers team and there was only one way to go from there and that was up and we'll see tonight like today's a big pressure game and we've seen teams You know, we've seen teams come off all-star break and a couple of key performers or maybe the entire team just falls flat. And there are a couple of key poor performances that lead to losses. Off the top of the show today, we talked about Morgan Riley last night with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I think that you know uh, in New York, uh, Rangers fans are certainly crossing their fingers and hoping that you know the uh, the All Star weekend is might be a launching pad here in the second half of the season for someone like Igor Shishkin. Fingers crossed. We'll see where that goes. But generally, that first game out of All Star, when players were either playing and competing or on the beach somewhere. Nah, some of the rust starts to show up. Luke Gazdick joins me now. A sports and hockey analyst and host of Mitz Off Podcast. Gazzy, how are you today, you rising star you? <laughs>
3: Jeff, I'm good, man. It's always a pleasure. How are you doing today?
1: <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'm I'm good. Like, this is the marquee matchup tonight. As the Edmonton Oilers facing off against Vegas Golden Knights, uh, tying a record is on the line uh, for Edmonton. Best to do it against the defending Stanley Cup champions. And it's a it's a team as well, although when Elliot and I talked to Leon and Connor, they didn't want to get into this and didn't mention them as a team they love beating. But these two teams have a good healthy hockey hatred for one another. What are you looking forward to in this one tonight? Which, by the way, I'm really happy that Sportsnet is taking national so everybody can see this game. Your thoughts on tonight's matchup?
3: Yeah, there's always a little extra with this team. Uh, it's the, the playoff series is combined with... Uh, them going on to win the cup last year, uh, all the drama that followed in in that series with Darnell, and I, I think everything's just added up for for this team. Uh, and and I'm for one ex- really excited to tune in tonight. I'm glad I'm working it. I'll be doing the intermissions with David Amber, um, and and I'm looking forward to. To see the boys come out flying and uh, you know what a lot of the talk before the break jeff was will this break affect them um and my big thing with that is i i think there's a lot of guys on this team that needed that break 10 days off th- this mm-hmm. is a team that's looking to play till mid-june and streak aside i think if you said hey you know what? You guys are going to get to 16. You'll be in the top three win streaks of all time in the NHL. Uh, but you're not going to get 17. But we'll give you 10 days off in the middle of the season. I, I think they'll take the rest. So uh, I expect them to come out flying, uh, flying tonight. Um, uh, it was a little discouraging, I'll say. Those, those Leaf All-Stars, I thought, looked a little fatigued last night. So you add in a five-hour flight yep. from, from Toronto to Vegas for uh, 97 and 29,
1: uh, and hopefully they have a bit yeah. of a different effort. Well, you know both these guys. Like You know how they're wired. You know how they play. You know, you know who they are. Like, for, for them, like, I understand it. The it, It's like we said at the beginning of the season when Elliot and I went to Edmonton for training camp, it's, you know, the mantra is cup or bust. Like, that is the expectation for the season. Didn't look good early, uh, but they turned the plane around and they're going in the right direction here. But what would a win tonight in this game against Vegas, tying the record mean to mcdavid or dry like i know that they want to you know every team will always say we're not planning to lose every game uh quite the opposite We're, we're planning to win um what does this one mean for these two guys specifically that rightly or wrongly when they win it's their faces out front and when they lose it's their faces out front too
3: I think it means a lot, Jeff. Honestly, from, uh, from where they came from, you know, how you started this interview today, how they were talking about when they finally got it back together. But I, I remember working the San Jose game when they lost 3-2 earlier in the season. And it's funny, mm-hmm. Connor said it in his interview with you, which was outstanding, by the way. He said it just looked like we forgot how to play hockey. I'd be covering these games and people would be asking me, I'd be coming on your show and people would be saying, what's going on with the Oilers? And I'd have no answer for them. I'd say it literally looks like they've forgotten to play hockey. So to see from where they came from to where they are now. And listen, this win streak, there's a little bit of discourse about the strength of opponents that they've been through. I know how hard it is to win one National Hockey League game. A lot of things have to go right for you to win one game. Doesn't matter if it's the Blackhawks, the Sharks, Vegas you have to have a great effort, good goaltending, score some goals, and the other team has to fall flat a bit. Uh, So to do that 16 times in a row is unbelievable. And I know these guys put it aside a little bit when you're talking to them, maybe the cliches, you know, we're not thinking about that. We're thinking about the long-term stuff. But the fact that this is Vegas too tonight, like I just know Mm -hmm. that there's a little extra for them here. And I I think the number will mean a lot to them. Just – showing the distance and how far they've traveled this year uh, from climbing out of Mm -hmm. the cellar. How well do you know Zach Hyman? Not very well at all. I've actually never, I've never met Zach. I played some hockey against him, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, But you know what? Last year in the playoffs, uh, they were playing LA and I I went in, I shook his hand, said hi, uh, but, but don't know the player uh, especially well. He's, Become one of my favorite players in the league to watch. I'm so glad I cover the Oilers yeah. a lot because I get to see him play on a nightly basis. He's a guy I always tell on TV. I say, kids, if you're watching and you want to learn how to play hockey the right way, or you hear the phrase, "This guy plays the right way," that's number 18 right there. Yeah. But I don't know him personally too well.
1: So I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I, I know him. I know him a little bit. Um, having watched him play in the OJ years ago, and I remember we were, we would, we'd watch Hyman and we'd say to ourselves, you know what, really good, skilled player, probably too good for this league, but the skating's always going to hold him back. Um, and maybe we said that, you know, when he when he played uh, Division One as well, maybe until his final season uh, with Michigan. Yeah, the, the skating is going to hold him back. To me, like, Hyman is this, first of all, Hyman is this like great example of determination and hard work and doing everything the right way. And you see that the way that he plays, the way that he handles himself on the ice, the way that he handles himself off the ice as well. But if you go through like Luke, if you go through the, the history of hockey, um, I look at Zach Hyman and I say to myself, if you believe in reincarnation, Zach Hyman must have done something so great in his previous life, like so so compassionate and so like outer worldly in his other life, because in this life, he's got to play with Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid. Like, what do you have to do in a previous hockey life? That in this life, you get to play with Matthews and McDavid. Do you just have a thought on you know, what you've seen from him going back? To, I don't know if you saw him play in the OJ. I know you played in the Ontario Hockey League. Um, going from the OJ and drafted by the Panthers to the Maple Leafs and, and now the Edmonton Oilers. And here we are with this sort of model of consistency. Even when the Oilers were a team that was in disarray and as Connor McDavid mentioned, we didn't know how to play hockey. Here's the model of consistency through all of it. And from my mind was, you know, certainly the first half of the season, with all respect to Connor and Leon and all the stars there, probably the Edmonton Oilers MVP.
3: Honestly, very well said. And when I think of Zach Hyman, encapsulated was the uh, Battle of Alberta empty net goal. Like, he goes down 45, 50 seconds left (laughs) in the game, blocks a one-timer straight to the quad, gets up, chases Rasmus Anderson down the ice. He's probably 20 feet back of him. Gets inside position, wraps it around the net, and it's just like no one else on their team is doing that. Um, but it's interesting because yeah. I asked Connor Brown about that as well. He was my very first podcast guest. And I said, you've played with both of them. Like, talk to me about some differences, some similarities. And he, he kind of enlightened me in saying that as skilled as they are and the amount of skill they bring to the table – they also are the biggest competitors and they drive practice. They set the practice example and that's where it starts. Like they, they lead the way and everyone else kind of follows Um, setting the tone in terms of your attitude and the way you lead and the way you practice and prepare all comes into how you play. And I thought that was so interesting that Mm -hmm. they were very different players on the ice, but those guys all have, that competitive drive in them uh but zach is just that same guy where you know with zach it's got to be a coach's dream you know with zach what you're getting every night oh yeah like the the effort's never going to be a question. Maybe he won't score. Maybe he'll, you know, no go pointless. Whatever it is, but you know the effort's there every night. And you just you can't say that about a lot of guys. Especially, I don't want to critique younger players that are coming up too much, but that, that can be a problem with them is competitive consistency and getting that on a daily basis. It's hard to bring that into the league, no matter what professional league you're playing in the mental aspect of it becomes such a grind. You get into these dog days in February and March, and it just feels like groundhog day. And some days, man, you just, you don't have it mentally. And you really got to pick it up. And so to see a guy like that, that consistently brings that every game is, it's a great example Mm -hmm. to, to set and easy to follow.
1: You know that's why I always maintain that Sidney Crosby should be in the conversation of the Hart Trophy, despite the season that he's having. And this year, he's having a great season. But regardless of the season that a guy like Crosby's having, uh, or the, the the Pittsburgh Penguins are having, like to what you're talking about, like Crosby sets like a work rate and an ethic for that team. That and I'm sure you've been on teams like this, and you've probably been on teams that are the opposite. But when your star player sets a work rate that's like so high, like you're embarrassed not to even try to come close, right? Is that kind of like what you're, what you're talking about here?
3: 100%. Uh, it's kind of like Jamal Mayer's told me a story uh, last week we were working because we went down to the Leafs morning skate, and it was an optional. And yep. he was talking about how the same thing, how Kane loved to skate. Patrick Kane loved to skate. And he'd be sitting there. He's a fourth-line guy. It didn't matter how old he was. If he played the night before, if he looks over and Kane's lacing him up to skate that morning, he's going out too, right? Yep. So it's, it's the example they said it's, it's like, I, I watched a lot of the, the guys that I played with that I loved following it started in the gym. And so if I get in there and they were already in the gym, rolling out doing their exercises, I'd be thinking, man, you know, I play a quarter of the minutes that he did last night, I, I got to be in there. Mm. Um, and so I was always looking looking to those guys who, who set really good examples. And Sid's the best one of all time, though, because he's the guy that every single player that I've talked to that's oh, yeah. played for Pittsburgh says the exact same thing. And it's just such an easy guy to like, an easy leader to follow, because
1: it's just routine for him every day. Colby, there's, there's a great story about Colby Armstrong. When he, uh, when he when he joined the Pittsburgh Penguins coming up from Wilkes-Barre, that's, uh, they had the morning skate, and then they were in the gym and he saw Crosby and you know Crosby works in the gym like he works hard and Colby goes up to him and says like Hey, Sid, like, is there a league higher than the NHL? Like, why are you working so hard? Like, you're in the National Hockey League. Like, is there, like, another league that I don't <laughs> know about that you're trying to get to? Like, what, what am I missing here, Sid? Um, just as, as a quick aside, because I'm curious about things like this, too. You mentioned Crosby, and he's at the zenith. He's at the peak of, of what you're talking about. Who are some of the other guys, like the gym dogs that, you know, may not get a lot of headlines? I mean, we think about, like, the gym. We'll think of, like, Rod Brindamore pushing it, Sidney Crosby pushing it, these types of guys. Who are some of the other guys? As we should keep in mind?
3: Well, I love going personal experience, so I'll give you three Oilers that come to mind in my time. Two, because they were okay. attached at the hip, and it was Boyd Gordon and Matt Hendricks, two long-time wild oh, yeah. vets. Gordo had this yeah. routine where he was in the gym. He had a really bad back by the time he was done. I'm talking an hour yeah. to an hour and a half every day of like this exact consistent routine. And I remember asking him, like can you just not do it today? And he he would just say, guys, if I don't do it, I I can't even go out there. Like I, I will, I'll be a different player. Wow. Uh, so I learned a lot from them. Hendo, especially Hendo taught me a lot of on ice, little things he loved to do. Um, the other one mm-hmm. was Andrew Ferentz. And this took me a long time to mm-hmm. realize how much he was doing away from the rink. You know how much he loved to ride the bike and do his cardio, but he had a running group yep. in Edmonton and they ran every stair, I think it was every stair they ran for an hour one of the one of the two I think it was every stair at Commonwealth Stadium every Wednesday morning at 5 a.m. And then he would go home, have yeah, breakfast with his kids, right. yeah. send them off to school, and then he'd come to Rexall to practice and do our workout. If we had a ride, he was doing the ride, and then he'd practice and then do his stretches and then he was going home. And I like Dallas, he can said that to us one time. He's like Boys, like fair, just yeah. ran 60,000 stairs or whatever it is. He's been running for an hour. If he can do that, <laughs> you guys can give me another couple of reps yeah. here. So he was another guy. He was wearing the C for me when I, for us, when I was in Edmonton. And I just, that, I always went back to that. I'm like, you know what? If Andrew could run stairs for an hour and a half at five in the morning and sometimes yeah. minus 10, minus 20 degrees, uh, I, I can give a little extra here at practice.
1: The, the the uh the old Pittsburgh Penguins guys would always tell the stories about seeing Yager with the weight vest up and down the stairs at the old igloo, the old Civic Center, just up and down oh, over yeah. and over and over again. Like Yogs would do, like the oldest school, like you know that you know you, you tie the weight to the to the broken hockey stick just to work your wrists and your forearms, just over and over and over and over again. Like the, well, I'm I, sure you've always this felt too,
3: that. Sorry, I know you know this too, but Ryan O'Reilly is one we should we should add. He oh, yeah. Is, I've never seen anything like it. The, the the it's just so unique. Everything he's picked up from his dad over the years and great story about him. I don't know if you know this, but when he left Erie, he went there to Colorado when he was 18. And we heard yep. that he was missing he was getting fined because he was missing media after games. And they found him probably five probably five, ten games later. And when, when they lost, or if he didn't like his game, he was running every stair at Pepsi Center. Well, now it was called Pepsi Center back oh, then. Yeah. But they, he, yep. was waiting, he would wait for the fans to leave, and he'd be up in the upper deck running every stair. And it's just some players are just wired differently like that. I had to give a shout-out to
1: Ryan. Uh, listen, uh, I've seen his workouts before. To me, they're fascinating. Like, he, he takes – the thing about O'Reilly, and I think you're right. I think he gets a lot of it from his dad as well. He takes, like, what we would consider, like, a normal – Exercise and adds like different variables to it. Like, I saw once, I saw once uh, uh, Ryan doing just like a simple, like. Sort of balance beam, you know, balancing walk exercise that he was doing, but he was doing it with a hockey stick. Now he was elevated, doing it with a hockey stick, like working on his on his on his hands while he's walk while he's walking on this balance beam, and taped to his hockey stick is like five pucks. So the weight distribution is all sort of off as he's trying to do this. And I'm like, this is the most Ryan O'Reilly thing I've ever seen. Like you're laughing, I know you know what I'm talking about, right? Like it's I, the exactly. most Ryan O'Reilly thing I've ever seen. You know what I'm talking about? And He's about? done it.
3: Well, I I have, I would, I would know it 100%, but you're exactly right. I've probably seen that, but he'll do little variations of that and just kind of craft it to how he wants. I, I mean, I played with him in junior for two years when I knew him when he was 16 and 17 and he was doing this stuff at 16. He was showing up to the rink at 3 o'clock. I I know you've seen that one where he stands in between two walls and bounces it in between the two walls, catching it on his blade. Uh, He always has the headphones going. He's got some sort of rock music playing in between his ears. Uh, But it's just the most unique a unique guy I've ever seen working out him and his brother, Cal. I know they went hard, still go hard in yeah. the summer out in Goderich. But yeah, yep. their dad, Brian, their dad, Brian's a a huge part of that. Um, and I know he's, he's been a, a big coach and motivator for them.
1: City and color is probably what he's been listening to. He's a huge Dallas green fan as uh, as I think we all know. Okay. Before I let you go here, Gazi, uh, what does this game look like? Like in your mind, like, what does this game look like to you tonight? Now, you know, we know that Vegas is a little bit dinged up. Uh, Eichel, you know, Carrier, um, uh, Theodore, et, cetera, et cetera. But what does this game look like to you in your head before we get there later on tonight?
3: Well, there's always a feeling out process after break. I think you saw that last night with the Leafs and the yeah. Isles. Uh, but especially for the yeah. Oilers, it's... It's hard to critique them in a 16-game win streak, but they do have a tendency to come out and kind of sniff it out. They kind of dip their toe in the water. They don't usually cannonball yep. in, which is weird to say about an offense like that, with, especially with the two guys they have. But I, I see them feeling out opponents a lot, and it takes them about a period till they kind of get their groove. So I could see a slower beginning tonight. But I, I, I'm not just saying this because they're going for the record and I, I played there and all this, but I, I like them tonight. I think the break is, is going to do them really well. Um, if, if you're going to get a team like Vegas, now's the chance with a couple of guys down, like you mentioned. Uh, yep. I really want to see Stuart Skinner continue this because that's been one of the best stories, I think, for for their squad is how far, yep. how far his game has come. Uh, but I expect to see a really good, Good, rested, healthy, happy Oilers team come out, come out, uh, hot, hot, at least hot out the gate, uh, uh, energy wise. And I think it'll, it's just going to be a
1: good mm-hmm. hockey game, Jeff.
3: Uh, this is going to be a great game tonight.
1: Yep. Very much looking forward to it. We all are. Uh, Gazzy, continues success on TV and the Mitsoff podcast continues to rock, man. It's great to see the emerging star uh, from our group, uh, the one and only Luke Gazdick. Thanks, Gazzy. You'll be good. Thanks, Jeff. There he is, Luke Gazdek, uh, who, by the way, his uh, interview with uh, Simon Benoit on his most recent podcast, Chef's Kiss, uh, really good. He has turned into, you know, we always talk about, you know, players that make that transition to media, and sometimes it's, it's, it's hard, because sometimes you feel like you're acting, and you're not exactly sure how you're supposed to behave, and what you're supposed to say, and I'm used to being on the other side, and now I'm on this side. Gazdick has been outstanding. Like, really, like, we're really blessed to have him as part of the the Sportsnet crew here because that guy, whether it's, you know, the intimate medium of podcasts where you're connecting one-on-one or broadcasting on television... Uh, he has got it figured out, man. Uh, always glad to have him aboard here on this program. Tarek el Bashir on the Capitals coming up at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, Matt Marchese. Um, it is the marquee matchup of the night. And I know earlier you talked about the Boston Bruins and the Calgary Flames. Uh, there's a few other interesting ones as well. Dallas and Buffalo is an intriguing one. Uh, Uka gets a start tonight uh, for the Buffalo Sabres there. Bad news, Matias Samuelson. Upper body injury. Is it the shoulder, we wonder? Uh, He's out for the uh, for the remainder of the season, Uh, Philadelphia and Florida. Paul Maurice saying this is not going to be a casual game by any stretch of the imagination. Winnipeg, Pittsburgh is delicious uh, as well with some returning players there. Um, I mean, Edmonton, Vegas is the one that we're all waiting for. And that's at the end of the night, too. So that's our treats. But uh, what do you got your eyeballs on tonight? Knowing that still you have a while before your final football game. Uh, Yeah, I still have some time before that happens, and I will be sad, but there's lots
2: of hockey until then and after then. And so I'm I'm interested in Colorado and New Jersey because I think that both of these teams leading up to the trade deadline are fascinating. We talk about Colorado, and yes, Mm -hmm. they just brought in Zach Parise, but you'd have to imagine that Colorado wants to do something big-ish. I think big, but maybe big-ish. Whereas New Jersey on the other side of that ledger, I wonder what they do because, you know, that Metropolitan Division, while it is up for grabs, there is so much jockeying for position that, you you know, one week you're in third place and the next week you're in sixth place. Like, you can fluctuate so much. And New Jersey's in a position where, you know, we're not super sold on their goaltending. Without Dougie Hamilton, their defense is taking a hit. It looks like Jack Hughes is going to be back tonight, which is awesome for the Devils, but you look at it and say, they haven't been healthy for the majority of this season, and yet they're still kind of there. I'm very curious to see what both of these teams do ahead of the deadline. And, you know, with Jack Hughes in the lineup, Jack Hughes, Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, like go down the list. Like this is a fun matchup to begin with. Um, and both goalies are so unpredictable at times that this could be one of those games where you're like, mm. oh, just a complete shootout. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that one.
1: Curious about the Jack Hughes situation. I'm not 100% that he's playing tonight for New Jersey. The, the, the I one thing about I the Devils that I do Let wonder about, eh, there's, uh there's not exactly progressing. Lindy Ruff saying it's uh, another step in the progress. I I, uh, I always sort of defer to Amanda Stein on, on these things. And he Lindy wasn't Ruff, a regular jersey at Cincinnati. practice today. That's what I, uh, Ryan Novosinski
2: yes. had that. He wasn't a regular jersey.
1: So that's what I had seen. So apologize. Correct. Skated yesterday, skated today as well. Uh, Lindy Ruff calling it another step closer uh, to a return. I mean, that's going to be bonus fries for New Jersey when he makes his way back. The interesting thing uh, to me is a couple of things. If New Jersey is going to make some type of move, and I can kind of see New Jersey making something big. Uh, They need a goaltender. They need a defenseman. Mm -hmm. The one thing I'll be really curious to see here is can can Tom Fitzgerald – Help this team in a significant way without including Dawson Mercer or Simon Nemich in a trade. Now, Whenever I mention that name, Maddie, have you ever mentioned Nemich's name around New Jersey Devils fans and say things like, "Well, if they want to do something sizable to try to bring in, you know, some help on the backhand in the net, they're going to have to give something up," and a lot of teams would be interested in Simon Nemich. Have you heard the response that comes back from New De- the New Jersey Devils and their fans? I have not, it's but I like, can. Over, I can imagine over over <laughs> over my over my dead body, yeah, like <laughs> over my grave, like no chance. Like Nemich looks so good. And as we've seen, although Dawson Mercer had a hard time finding the back of the net to start the season, really versatile player. Is he a center? Is he a winger? He can play both. You know, really sort of you know uh, utility, kind of like a, a utility player for the New Jersey Devils, and he can do it at a, um, uh, at, a at a high rate as well. Um, that's going to be that's going to be the curiosity for me. If New Jersey is going to do something big, and at various times I've been a belief of the belief that New Jersey Devils are going to do something big. Can they keep those two specifically? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm pretty sure that they're going to want to do it without sacrificing one of those two, either Mercer or Nemich, because you can rest assured that when the New Jersey Devils call up the teams about, you know, what are you looking at? Here's what we want. One of the names coming back right away is Nemich. Very quietly, by the way, one of the best defensemen. Like, he's been outstanding. For New Jersey and doesn't get a lot of headlines, yeah. at all. But Nemich has been Nemich has been amazing for this for this New Jersey Devils team. I'll, I'll tell you what um, the uh, the the game tonight between uh, Buffalo and Dallas is an intriguing one, and I mentioned Casey Middlestad earlier on, and you know how sometimes. And I mentioned Ukapeka uh, and starts for Buffalo tonight. Um, Dallas, one of those teams, you know, with uh, Winnipeg and Colorado, nobody, nobody wants to finish second or third there. Everybody wants to finish first. Nobody wants to face off against one of those other teams in the opening round. I am really curious about Casey Middlestat, and here's why. You know, there are some players that end up doing well, and you say to yourself, all right, how does the team look at this success? Do they look at the success as, okay, this player is doing well now, so we should hang on to him? Or do they look at that player and say, he's doing well, now we can move him. Like, it's going to be maybe challenging is the right word to fit Casey Middlestat into the salary structure next year for the, for the Buffalo Sabres. I think this is one of the players that a lot of us are wondering about come trade deadline time. Maybe a, a, a wild card, because normally it's the players on expiring contracts that get moved. But every now and then, there's a player that maybe you didn't see coming. On a deal. And I wonder if Casey Middlestadt for the Buffalo Sabres could be that guy. We got to hit a break. Tarek Al Bashir stops by to talk to us about the Washington Capitals without Yevgeny Kuznetsov. Uh, as I mentioned, Michael Scarbosa called up from AHL Hershey. It is the caps and the habs later on tonight. Uh, Tarek Al Bashir is commenting in moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Samuel Cast on Sportsnet 360. Merrick show returns in a moment.
0: Everything Raptors, before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: You know, one of the most interesting things about the Metropolitan Division and the NHL is I have no idea how this thing's going to wind up. I really don't. Like, you look at the Central and you say, okay, well, yeah, there's a mix of those top three teams, and it's just a matter of, okay, who's going to be first, who's going to be second, who's going to be third, but we know the teams. And ditto for the Pacific, ditto for the Atlantic as well. We're going to, you know, uh, have conversations about wildcard, et cetera. But when it comes to the Metropolitan, I really have no idea. I can't tell you. Maybe uh, my next guest can. Uh, he covers the Washington Capitals for Monumental Sports Network. He's our good friend, Tarek Al-Bashir, and he joins me now. How are you today, sir?
4: Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, the, the pleasure is all mine, and I know I was blathering last segment, so th- thanks for hanging on and listening to my various soliloquies oh, about the Buffalo Sabres and Casey Middlestad. Um Now, do, are you picking up what I'm putting down here about the Metropolitan? I have no idea. No idea how this division is going to end up. I have a pretty good idea, and I think we all do, about the other three divisions. We can quibble about positioning, but I have no idea how the Metropolitan ends up. Do you?
4: I don't. Um, it, it's it's really tight. Obviously, I, I think there are some teams that are starting to separate themselves. You know, I I think you know uh, uh, Carolina and the New York Rangers are, are are you know head and shoulders above everyone else in my opinion. But after that, I mean, you look at that wild card race. It, it's it's uh, it's wild. Um, you know, the, there's there's a bunch of teams that are still in the mix. The Capitals are fading a little bit. They're they're uh, you know right before the All Star break, they had a tough road trip that that really um uh put a crimp in their style a little bit but um you know and they got a tough uh slate ahead of them but you, you look at the how tightly those teams are bunched in and uh you know every team even the the really the the really I would say elite teams have had some parts of their season where it's been a little rough so uh stay tuned
1: yeah You know, it's interesting, too. I mean, you you mentioned the Hurricanes and the Rangers and, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes, certainly to start the season, um, didn't have the start that they were hoping for. Goaltending has been an issue. Injuries have been an issue as well. And as far as the Rangers go, like, I I was saying this a couple of weeks ago. Like, Whenever I mention anything positive about the New York Rangers, I get a flood of tweets about how it's a deeply flawed team and you should watch the games, Merrick, and the New York Rangers. It's like, whoa, 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 I'm just trying to say, like, they had a good game. Like, they had a good game against Colorado Avalanche last night. Jonathan the Quick may have saved their bacon a little bit, but still, like, it's not as if this is last year's edition of the of the Boston Bruins. Um, but getting the attention back to the Washington Capitals here, um, first of all, we wish Yevgeny Kuznetsov all the best and getting back to health um physically and mentally as well um what is a cascading effect now of uh of, of this player who we've all sort of you know wondered about when can the the switch finally gets turned and when can the, the light go off for for kuznetsov now that he's in the player's assistance program what's a cascading effect like michael scarbosa gets called up from ahl hershey but how does this affect the rest of the uh, the rest of the players on this team
4: yeah, look, uh, Jeff. This is a team that has been starved for goals all season long. Uh, you just look at their yeah. uh, their their differential, and and you know this is a team that for a long time was winning games with elite goaltending. Charlie Lindgren was playing outstanding. Mm. Darcy Kimber up and down but he's also been clutch in moments as well so uh you know goaltending in my opinion w- was really helping this team kind of stay in the race uh to a certain extent they've been decent defensively but they've struggled to score all year long and now you're subtracting yes Evgeny Kuznetsov was struggling with just 17 points but it was pretty obvious to anyone who, who watches them on a day-to-day basis why he was in the lineup Every single night. Well, he was scratched one time, but almost every single uh, night. It's because even Mm -hmm. if he only decides to go all out for eight or nine shifts of of his entire game, on those shifts, he can be instant offense. He can thread a pass through two defensemen and a winger right onto the... Of one of his teammates to set up an important goal again for a team that is trying to win games or has been winning games three to two, four to three, these low-scoring games, and 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 Kuznetsov is is, is a guy who um, you give him an inch and he can make a play. You just don't know what you're going to get from him. On a shift to shift basis, on a night to night basis, much less a season to season basis, and and so now you got a team that um, it, the offense, both at even strength and on the power play, hasn't been uh, any good this year, and you take out a player who you know is a big part of that, and and you combine that with a tough schedule, and it's it's starting to it's starting to um, uh, get late real quick on the Capitals.
1: You know, um, I'm hearing you talk about the uh, the skill set for Kuznetsov. And do you mind going on a quick little detour with me outside of this year's edition of the Washington Cowboys? Do you mind if we detour on this conversation just a little bit? Of course.
4: Love, I love Jeff
1: Merritt. Okay, so... Okay, well he, well here we go. But this this one's gonna be in the sweet spot of the bat for you too, because you covered his entire career. So I was talking to Bruce Boudreaux on the show last Friday, and we were talking about the skills competition and I was, you know, throwing out names like Kent Nielsen, for example, saying, You know, I wish that, you know, we could have a player like Kent Nielsen in his prime perform at the skills competition at the All Star Weekend the way it was laid out with all the individual competitions and you're crowning one grand champion. I mean, we've talked about this before. You know how much of a big fan of Kent Nielsen I was and would love to have seen him in that environment. And I said, Gabby, of all the players that you've had or seen before, either as a player or as a coach, who would you like to see in the skills competition the way that it is constructed now? I see you smiling, so you know his answer. He said Alexander Semen. What do you remember from Semen's career as a Washington capital? You know, I'm hearing you talk about Kuznetsov, and I'm saying, you know what? This so reminds me of Semon as well. All the skills, but just couldn't quite put them all together. Pat Quinn would refer to these players as morning glories. Like, they look tremendous in practice, but then the game shows up, and it's not always there. Just your, your, your memories of, of Semon, if we can detour here quickly.
4: Jeff, I, you really did nail it. I mean, if there is a direct comparable to, to Evgeny Kuznetsov, it's Alexander Simen. It's not because they're both Russian wingers. Uh, enigmatic is the one the word that comes to mind. I know it's a little bit of a cliche when we're talking about players, maybe even particular yeah. European players, who don't bring it every single night. But uh, th- that really is um, the word I would use to describe Simon And his talent was off the charts. Uh, I mean, his hands, oh, the, oh. The, 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 the wrist shot the skating he barely lifted his blades off the ice he just glided on top of it and could stop on a dime and the shot was amazing and and the creativity he would try passes that other guys would have to go back and look and did, did he really just do that and not only did he do it he nailed yeah. it I mean, he he made a pass yeah. that was a 10 out of 10 and the, the the problem with him with Simon is the same problem that we see with kuznetsov he's just not dialed in you know, every single night, uh, there are some games where, you know, you would look at Simon and you would go. I remember, for example, there was one game early on in Alex Ovechkin's career. They lost it in Tampa and Simon picked up a puck with his hand and he threw it like a baseball into the into the goal drawing an unsportsmanlike penalty (laughs) and I believe they lost the game on that unsportsmanlike penalty and someone smashed an iPad out the lock uh, uh, an iPod outside of the locker room in Tampa and I believe it was Alex Ovechkin he was furious Simmons was his boy he was his countryman they were great friends but he once again did something where it was like what are you doing
1: you know, I think uh, as I'm as I'm hearing you talk about Semon and Anne, the inconsistency, but the super high skill set, man. All I can think about is Alex Kovalev, who is just one of the most skilled players the game has ever seen. Period. Cool but you only saw it once every once every four or five games. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Kovalev was just uh, just super elite. Okay, uh, back to this year's edition of the Washington Capitals. Thank you for the detour. Uh, next time we'll, uh, I don't know, we'll talk about Viktor Kozlov. Um, let me oh, uh, l- let me get your thoughts on, uh, and there was another guy who was loaded with skill and size, and you thought, man, if he could only put it all together, man, the Washington Capitals would have a beauty here. Okay, Let me ask you about Brian McClellan Um, because we wonder about general managers in advance of trade deadline and having a look at their team and it's the halfway point and it's post-All-Star, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you see McClellan doing anything for this team come trade deadline time or is this a season where you say "Eh, maybe it's best to keep the powder dry here?
4: I would say if the Capitals aren't solidly in a playoff spot, come deadline time. And I, when I say solidly, I, I just mean two to four points. Unless they are have yeah. one foot in the wild card, I think you're going to see Brian McClellan operate much like he did at last year's deadline, which is flip some players on expiring contracts for draft picks to try mm-hmm. to uh, restock the cupboard. I could see him even try to maybe parlay a pick that he brings back into a prospect a la Rasmus Sandin. Um, I, I could see this very right. much be a buy and sell. You're kind of straddling that line. Um, I, 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 you know, it's much more fun to cover a winning team, and so you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. cheer for them. I cheer for myself because it's more fun. Um, I just, I just see a <laughs> lot of adversity. I, I see a lot of potential stumbling blocks here over the next month, and um, I, I think it's clear to everyone fans, McClellan, everyone else, that this team is much closer to needing a tear it down and start all over rebuild than they are to maybe tweaking on the fly. Um, so so wow. I, I could definitely see him go in the mode of um, – um, uh, selling off some some, you know, pieces that might make fans angry. But if you bring back a first or second round pick for a Nick Dowd or a Charlie Lindgren or, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera, you, you know, you're setting yourself up for success in the future
1: see I find that fascinating because I'd, I'd always been under the assumption that as long as ovechkin's chasing Gretzky it's gonna be full steam ahead get him all the support he needs we're always going to be going for it we're not taking a step back uh, no green bananas we want yellow bananas here we want players we don't want prospects we don't want we don't want picks um, the, the one thing that I am curious about too is Listen, Ovechkin's season has already been well-documented, and the capital season is what it is. At times, they've looked fantastic. At other times, they've looked like a team that's not going to make the playoffs. Uh, the one thing about Alex Ovechkin, and you know this a lot better than me, is he's a terrible poker player because you know what he's feeling. You know how he's, what he's thinking because he wears it on his face. How has all this been for Ovechkin both personally and from a team point of view all season long so far?
4: You know, being around him every day, um, I I would say off the ice, what has surprised me is he's a much more mature player than he was in his younger years where he might have slumped his shoulders and been a little standoffish. Mm -hmm. Haven't witnessed that uh, behind the scenes. You see it a little more of the frustration kind of boiling over on the ice. I I I think he's able to kind of, you know, understand where, he is in his career arc and where this team is in its trajectory that's not to say it's acceptance i i think he just kind of you know if you were to get inside his head he would go well we kind of always knew we were going to end up here at some point you know we were hoping to to not get to this point but we knew it was it was going to eventually get to that point and um you know now we're here mm-hmm. uh so I, I would say, in terms of leadership and just his demeanor off the ice, I you you wouldn't know that he was struggling the way that he that, that the way he is, or that the team is not you know performing as of late the way he had hoped. Um, you see it more on the ice, um, and I know you didn't ask about this, but uh, you know in terms of of his performance this year, I have to imagine that at some point. Um, here in the second half, and he's been a very strong second half player throughout his career. Um, Hmm. The second half, going into the offseason, he's going to have to take a really hard look at himself, and he's going to have to go, okay, i got two years left. I really want to catch Wayne Gretzky. This year wasn't good enough, and he's going to have to decide, is he going to double down on the way he approaches his off season. Is he going to put in the extra work? And he's, and he's always a hardworking player, but as you get older, Jeff, and you know this, I mean, every year after 33, you've got to cut weight. You, 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 you have to change, you know, you you can't drag logs up a hill in, in suburban Moscow. Like you can't do the heavy, you know, kind of muscle building um um uh, training that a younger player does you have to do stuff that is more quick twitch and can help you regain or not lose an extra half step which is what we've seen this year uh you know i i think he's got to work on his hand eye a little bit he's got to work on his shot a little bit you know he, he's been messing with sticks all season long and it, it's i asked him yesterday that's true it looks like yeah you, yeah i said it looks like you finally found a stick that you like and it, it's, it's a, he's gone back to Bauer after a few years with CM, CCM. So, um, yep. you know, he's got to take a really hard look at how this season um, kind of maybe got away from him and make sure that if he wants to crash, mm-hmm. catch 90, he's got he's to work a little bit harder to, to, to get himself into type of conditioning, condition that will help him do that.
1: Uh, you're, you're bang on you know, I'm always curious I'm such a geek for this kind of stuff I think he experiments with some warrior sticks this year as well you're he right like he, his CCM contract he expired in the summer and it was, it was Bauer I know there were some warrior sticks that were shipped as well and he's he settled on Bauer um, listen this has been great uh, thanks first of all thanks for the detour I love the Simmons stories uh, I could talk about that guy for a long time and we'll pick a Washington Capital from random yesteryear as well next time uh, the year aboard. always great talking to you my friend We'll uh, we'll catch up soon
4: Always appreciate the time, Jeff.
1: There he is, the great Tarek Al Bashir, uh, who covers the Washington Capitals and has done so forever. Uh, you want to know something about the Washington Capitals? That's the guy you go to for Monumental Sports Network uh, reporter Tarek Al Bashir. Uh, tonight, the Washington Capitals face off against the Montreal Canadiens, and those are some interesting comments about Alex Ovechkin. Like, I think now in the second half, unless Ovechkin starts to turn it on, I think we will have more of those conversations quite publicly. I think a lot more people are going to have those conversations because there seemed to be a feeling all year long that we're not going to write off Ovechkin, not going to write off the season. We've done that before, and we've all made a big mistake because if he has a slow start and we say, oh, Ovechkin's washed, next thing you know, he's got 45 goals at the end of the season. This has happened more than once, and we've all been caught. I've done it too. We've all been caught saying, yeah, you know what? We shouldn't have been so quick to dismiss Alex Ovechkin's slow start. But this one feels different. This one seems different. And if you've watched the Washington Capitals this year, you know what I'm talking about. You know, Elliot has mentioned a couple of different times, you know, even when he's gone through stretches where Ovechkin is not scoring goals there's always been something that he's done every game or every shift he's tried to have some type of impact, whether it's creating scoring opportunities, whether it's you know getting that shot off, whether it's a big hit. There's always been something that Ovechkin has done. Even if he isn't scoring, there's some way that he's impacting the game. And as Friedman's pointed out a couple of different times, the difference between Ovechkin now and Ovechkin then is is you're not seeing that impact anymore unless he scores. So I think what Eric said there is really interesting. If nothing turns around for him here in the second half of the season, is it going to be the big major reset for Ovechkin in the offseason? Because, you know, I, I think now we're probably all to a person wondering, can Ovechkin still do this? You know, is Gretzky's record really going to stand? You know, how much more do we pay attention to Austin Matthews and his goal-scoring exploits and say, okay, let's start getting out the calculators here and seeing how many years at a 40 or 45 or 50-goal pace does Austin Matthews need to have to catch Wayne Gretzky? Maybe after all, it's not going to be Alex Ovechkin. You've wondered about it. Stop. You know you have. I have. We all have. See what happens in the second half of the season for Alex Ovechkin. Thanks to Tarek al for stopping by to talk about the Capitals. One of eight games on the go around the NHL this evening. They play the Habs. Thanks to Luke Astic. Seeing up the Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights. Did you know they're playing tonight? Do you know that number 17 is a big number? Oilers looking for 17 in a row. Thanks to Gadsden for stopping by. Thanks to Andrew Raycroft. Thanks to Elliot Friedman and our entire crew here. Matt Marchese, David Sis, Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick as well. Enjoy the games tonight and then make sure you settle in for the late one. The Oilers look for 17 in a row against the defending Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights. Back in 22 hours across the Sportsnet Radio Network.